Good morning. How's everybody? You know, my teacher used to say, are we all in our places with bright, shiny faces? Just checking. Do teachers still do that? Do they still say that? Okay, good. So some of you are like, no, we don't do that. <laughs> do you still get apples? No. <laughs> are you a teacher, Maggie? <laughs> Maggie's like, maybe I should give an apple. That's pretty sweet. Hey, we are in our second week of a new series. We are walking through First Peter. Pretty systematically, we're taking it in bite-sized chunk. Last week was probably the largest chunk of it we'll do. Um, it just kind of worked out that way. And so we're kind of just going to work through that. We're going to be in second, First Peter chapter 2. So pretty good stuff. If you want to go there, we're going to jump into this. A lot to talk about. And it's fun because this passage, um, I love the way the Word of God works. If you really start to pay attention to it, it's always building. It's always adding layers. It's always in, you're, you're, you're working towards, like, it just builds. And I, and I was telling somebody, and I'm not a math person at all, but when I was taking algebra in college, the only math class I had to take, but I remembered that, that you had to learn all the sequences to it to go on to the next level. You had to, you had to learn how these things work so that as you went along, you, so you could solve and figure out and, and get the actual, the answer to the question. And this is, this is kind of how we see the Word of God. If you really start to pay attention to it, if you read it in bigger context, it oftentimes is trying to get you to see a lot more than what you're currently seeing. And last week, I introduced this idea, and it's not a new idea, but it's out of 1 Peter um, 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, and that theme carries all the way through, all the way through the, the whole series we're going to be looking at. And this is what Peter wrote. He says, but as one who is called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, be holy for I am holy. And Monday after last week, I was kind of, uh, went to the gym and um, after the swimming debacle. I thought, you know, I need to get back in the gym. You know, I was kind of, you know, anyway. And I was thinking about two things about holy that I think all of us, like, like, why did God use holy? The reason that he says holy is because that is the greatest, that points you to, to the most of what, who he is, okay? That's, that's in his essence. God is holy and he's perfect. And he's saying, shoot for this, the second part of the reason why he said holy is because he knows that we can't do it without his help. Okay? So he sets the bar really high and he says, you need to shoot for who I am. You need to look like me. And here's something else. You can't do this without my help. Okay? And so when you see the word holy, you're thinking, well, that's only a select few. No. Nowhere in what I just read, it doesn't say some of you if you feel like it. It's only, it says be, it doesn't, he doesn't preface. He just says, be holy for I am holy. And so that is the setting for which he jumps into chapter 2 about, and we're going to see that here. So if you got uh, chapter 2, verse 1, let's jump right in. So it's beautiful how it's, wrote, it's written because you get all of that in chapter, the first part of chapter 1, so then it says the first word is so. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. Now, I, gotta hate, I hate to tell you this, but you know who he's writing this to? Who is he writing this to? Us, the church. I hate to tell you that. He was writing it to the church. The church was struggling with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. 
Is that shocking to you? Nah, nah. <laughs> Students are transparent. Nah, <laughs> it's real. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. He was writing it to the church. That was their problem. Why put this away? I love this. Why is this important to put this stuff away? And what he means by putting it away, he doesn't mean put it in a little box and get it out later in case something arises. He knows that those things, and this is going to be shocking to you, cause dissension in the church. I know that's shocking. I'm just saying. I can't believe that would happen. But those things are prevalent in the church. They cause the church to not be the church, right? They cause the church to not be the way that we were designed. And when he says, put those away, all of you, and, and, and you're going, yeah, I know somebody needs to put away that gossip stuff. No, let me help you out. All of us need to put away these things. And there's, there's a lot more, by the way. Put them away. He says, here's, and here's why you should put them away. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that is by you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And I went back and I added some words to this. Like newborn infants, he's not talking about just go back to being like a baby. He's saying you need to crave the things that are the, the purest, the best. You need, to, you need to make sure you're not diverting over here to get these things. Like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they, they took something that was pure and made it contaminated because of what they added to it. And so I want to add it this way. Newborn infants long for pure, uncontaminated spiritual, um, and the milk is logical and relational, the Word of God, that it is, you would grow up. And I love this because the grow up tells you that you and I have a part in our relationship with Christ, that we have part of this journey of looking more like Jesus, we have a role. That idea of grow up, that means you, you need to be growing in your faith. That you shouldn't, you, you, when, you make a, when, you, when you ask God into your life, that shouldn't be the final destination. That should be the beginning, right? That's where we go. We, when, we, when we start a relationship with Christ, that's the launch point. We just keep on going from there. Have you ever, how many of you have ever drinking something that's contaminated? Yeah, ugh. Um, my daughter, what we do, we have, a, we have a, a thermos that we keep in her room at night, so she just has water in it. And that, we, you know, just, she gets thirsty at night, she can have water. But it's a sealed deal. And, and this is all a couple months ago, and she's, she says, hey, Dad, can I, can I have some water um, before, you know, we say goodnight? And I said, oh, sure, babe. So I hand her water. What I didn't know is that about three or four days before that, um, she had put milk in it. Yeah, all your faces. And so I didn't know this. And so she opens it up and she takes a rather large swig. And you know what? I've never seen her move that fast to the bathroom. I've never seen, she's like, the look on her face was like, uh-uh. And she, poof, to the bathroom. And I said, what's wrong? Because I thought something happened. She goes, I forgot it had milk in it. <laughs> I felt so bad for her. Oh. Mm. As I'm a milkophobic person, like what, how many of you, just be confession, how many of you, 
like if the expiration date is today, that milk is gone. Okay, thank you. Okay, we need to have a support group. My sisters, my dad, my evil dad, would take the old milk and pour it into the new milk. Look, he's got his thumb up. Pray for my father now. My sister, my youngest sister, who is a milkophobic as well, we always, she's like, I found some milk in the back, you know. But contaminated is a crazy thing because what was something that was good for my daughter four days ago is not that night. And when you take in something that, it's funny because when you take in things that are not good for you, it affects you. It affected my daughter abruptly. Pew! She, uh, she made it to the bathroom, and, and uh, thankfully she didn't actually swallow because I don't want to know what that tasted like after four days. I'm just saying, ooh. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I, I want you to catch in verse 3. It says, if you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. Do you know what that's saying? Is, is if you have experienced and have, and, have, and have understood what God has done in your life and has done on the cross for you, then you know what's good. It's really good, and it tastes good because it freed you, it liberated you from your past, from all that has affected you in your life. It says what Jesus has done, and it's, it tastes good, really good. And he says, if you've done that, now I, if you've taken notes, I, I want you to, this is a pretty good thought. It says, what you consume, you become. What you, what you consume, you become. If you consume the things that are of this world, of the things that are not of God, you will become those things. Maybe not overnight, but over time, okay? Those things happen. And so let me ask you a couple things. Is your faith growing? Is your, think about yourself. Is my faith actually growing? Do I pray? Do I actually spend time in the Word? Do I want to be holy, or is that just for somebody else in another season? Does it bother you if you're not? If you're really just kind of like, ah, I'm good. Let me just help you out. If you're not growing in your relationship with God, you are becoming not like God. Okay? Because you can't be stationary. There is no relationship on the planet Earth that you can go, we're good. There's not a spouse in here that would go, you know, I don't think we need to grow. We're good. There's not a parenting situation. I think we're good. There's not any of you that are fitness bugs that you go, you know, I think I've run far enough. I'm good. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. (laughs) I know Lisa's getting ready for a marathon. My point is is that none of us in here would say, hey, our friendship, we're good. We don't really need to be. we We don't need to be better friends than this. We're good. And when we become too satisfied, a lot of things start to happen. So what I want you to do is get your insert out on the back side. Paul David Tripp wrote this. I did not, but it was worthy of our time. So I want to read this to you very quickly and listen to these words. He said, the true crisis in the modern evangelical church is not dissatisfaction. It's the opposite. We are all too satisfied. Hmm. We're all too satisfied with who we are, where we are, and what we're doing. I want to walk through these. I'm not going to, you just can see them for what they are. We're satisfied with a little bit of of biblical literacy. We're satisfied with an occasional moments of ministry. We're satisfied with manageable debt that allows us to put a little few coins in the plate. We're satisfied that we've been married for a while, and it doesn't look like we're going to break up soon. 
We're satisfied that a bit of, uh, of a grasp of theology of Scripture. We're satisfied with faithful attendance on the weekend service of our church. We're satisfied with quick morning devotions. We're satisfied that we don't act out most of our lust and we don't communicate most of our envy. We're satisfied that we can harness a good bit of our fear of man. We're satisfied that most of us are material resources to make and keep ourselves comfortable. We're satisfied to be mere consumers of the church rather than the committed participant in it. We're satisfied with hearts that occasionally wander and with thoughts that contradict what the Bible says is good and true. We're satisfied. And the last thing is this. We serve a dissatisfied Redeemer. He is not going to allow us to stay satisfied in any of those areas and a whole lot more. Does that make sense? Because when we get satisfied, I don't really... I've, there should never be a time where you say, I've read enough of God's Word and I've prayed enough. There should never be that. You know, as a second grader, I told my teacher, my Sunday school teacher... You know, I don't think I need to go to church because I, I, I've heard this story. I know there was no logic in that statement, but, but I think there are adults in here and students and people who have been around a long time. I've, I've heard that story that Danny's going to do today. There's a difference between hearing and living out. I, all of us can hear, but actually doing what it says, that's, that's, where, the, that's where it hits the road. And I wrote this kind of thinking about this. I said, the enemy loves when we admire and agree with God's word, but never obey it. You can agree with it. You can amen me. And you can say, yeah, that's right, Danny. You can preach that word. Make sure that they hear it too. I may not obey it, but I, you know, okay, let's keep going. Verse four, as you have come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and, and precious, you yourselves like a living stone are being built. Oh, there's our, look at, you, we talk growing up, being built. That means this is, your faith journey is a process, okay? Doesn't happen overnight. It happens over your lifetime. Being built up as a spiritual house to be a, oh, look at what he does here today. Last week he says, be holy, and then he takes holy and he marries it with priesthood. Now, some of you are going to check out and go, well, that's just Danny's job and Keith and Brad and Corey and some other missionaries. No, 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 no. It doesn't say that. He says, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, let me help you understand what holy priesthood means so that you're not, you, you, don't get, you don't get out of this one, okay? Spiritual separation is not isolation. It is, to stay contact, it is to stay in contact without corruption. Some of what we're asked to do as a holy priesthood is to say, we are to be light in our community, not to isolate ourselves and hide, not to set up some sort of walls and say, when you get your life right, then you can come in. He's not talking about that. What he is saying is, is that you be light and people go, man, what is different about him or her? What's that relationship with God looking like? Because they've got something I don't. They participate in things or don't, that I don't, and so forth. Priesthood, holy priesthood, you have access to God, you serve God, you represent God. We represent God. We communicate God's Word. See, the more you know God's Word, the more likely it is that you will share God's Word. If somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, is there a verse about something? Well, actually, there is. And the last thing is, we represent others before God. And this is your opportunity. 
to pray for somebody, to bring somebody to. How many of you, you have prayed for somebody this week? Most all of you. You, 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 holy priesthood, you have accomplished that right there. You have taken somebody and you've taken them before the Father and said, God, I'm praying for this person. They're going through whatever it, it may be. And so this holy priesthood, he adds holy priesthood. Be holy for I am holy. And he says, you can do this because I'm going to equip you to do it. But you've got to want this. This holy priesthood thing is grow up in your faith so you're more like me. But you've got to want that. You've got to hunger for that. So verse 6 says this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a, uh, laying in a Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So to honor is for you is who, who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that has builders rejected have become the cornerstone and a stumbling block, a rock of offense. Their stumble becomes their, because they disobey the word. They are destined to do. And what he is saying here is that this cornerstone was Jesus, and people either found it to be life-changing or they found it to be a stumbling block. That means Jesus can't be who he is. We've been talking about this on Wednesday nights, that part of the problem with the disciples and the, the religious leaders is they grew up with Jesus, and they looked at Jesus I I, his dad and, and Jesus built my, my parents' furniture. He can't be the Messiah of the world. We went fishing down at the lake. I was in school with him. He can't be that guy. He can't, from, what, from that neighborhood? No. And so he was rejected because he came in a fashion that everybody, they couldn't get their mind wrapped around. He was not coming in the traditional way. And they were like, ugh, I can't get this. A couple things there. It says, Christ's followers are living stones in God's church. See, when God is shaping this church, each of you has, you're part of the foundation. Do you know that? You're part of the foundation. Everybody in this room. One of the things we do in 101 is we give everybody a puzzle piece. And we say, your piece really matters because it helps to make the, the kingdom of God complete. And when we withhold it, the church isn't all that it can be and should be. Make sense? So if you just do Sunday this time and that's it, the picture is not complete because you have experiences, you have maturity, you have knowledge, you have ways to meet people's needs and minister to people. And if, if all this is you do, then you're missing out. You're not, it's not complete. And so he's doing that, that we are part of the foundation. What a joy. And regardless how dif difficult things become, a living Savior walks with us. Even if other people go, we're not going to be a part of your church, or we don't agree with you, you stand for things that we don't agree with or whatever, God says, I'm going to be with you all the way through. We live in a fairly divisive country right now, am I right? It's pretty cantankerous. People can't play well. Everybody wants to take their toys and go home. Yet the church, we, the church, have an opportunity to be light. And does that mean speaking truth in sometimes? Absolutely. But, you know, you can speak truth in love. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Just so you know, jerk is not a spiritual gift. I know. And you may think they deserve it. They don't. Because the message gets lost in translation. If you say it in a disrespectful, um, in a way that belittles them and inflates you, that message won't be heard. 
And as difficult as it gets, Jesus says, I'm with you. If you'll just let me, just let me. Verse 9 says this. Look at how he says you're a royal priesthood. And look look at how Peter builds on this. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you were not, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, once you were one way and now you're another. I, a lot of you know I like to play around with wood and build stuff. And, <coughs> excuse me, a guy I was getting wood from in Augusta um, his dad owned a kind of a quasi-mill shop for decades. And he, he, he pointed me back to this old barn, and um, it was gross and junky and dusty. And blah. and so he goes, whatever back there you want, you can have. And I was like, you know, for free, I'm going to go back and dig. So I went back, and I started digging out wood, and I found, I found a bunch of wood that had been burned, which really was a head-scratcher to me. I was like, well... Why would you burn wood and then stack it? And I was like, why would you? There's a lot of wood, by the way. And it was all, all of it was burned on, on some degree. And so I was like, you know, burned wood, I'm going to throw it on the back of my truck and get my saw out and cut off the end and see, see what it is. And so I, I got a couple pieces out and I threw it on the back of my truck and uh, I cut the end off, and for some of you, if you don't know anything about wood, um, it was walnut. And walnut um, around here uh, is like gold. It's a beautiful wood. It has a beautiful color. Uh, it's one of my, it's, it is my favorite wood of all the woods I get to play with. And I was like, he burned it, though. I mean, it's charred. And so I cut the end off, and what I realized is, is that it's only charred like, like somebody taking a blowtorch and just blackened it. Well, I got a thing at home called a planer, a big one. And you know what? I put that wood through that planer, and it's gorgeous, gorgeous wood. I was thrilled. So I took all that charred wood <laughs> and ran it through the planer and got all the junk and all the dark and all the, all the, the ugliest stuff. 90% of everybody would have said, oh, that's just firewood. Throw it away. It's gross. And what God is great at doing is stri- stripping away all that the outer that everybody sees, and he starts to work in your life to the beauty of who he is and who he wants to be in your life. And when he starts to do that, you start to resemble the beauty of God. And when I stripped that wood down and I planed it out, I went, Beautiful, beautiful wood. And he starts it. But when you've received that, and when you, when you see him do his work, man, it's liberating for us. It's freeing for us. And I love this. It says, praise, praise God with a verbal witness and our conduct. When he says, you've been chosen, he says, praise God with a verbal witness. Actually tell people about your love for Christ. Mercy is God's compassionate treatment on us, even when we don't deserve it. And it's we get that right there. It's full measure of justice. We don't get what we should get. And when you, re- when you remind yourself of what's been done for you, you'll stand and look at somebody else with a different set of eyes. And the last thing I'll say to you is your personal walk with God really matters. It really does. 
It really does. Because if somebody ever says, oh, you go to church? That should be a little alarm ought to go off. Because you're giving off indications that you don't. Your personal walk with Christ really matters. A verbal witness of Christ that, you know, you know, we've had this series kind of running for almost a couple of years now is Who's Your One? You've got somebody that you, Easter's around the corner, man, a great opportunity to invite somebody. Would you invite them? Would you say, hey, come to church with me. You ought to see, you ought to experience the hope that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. But your personal walk really matters because envy, gossip, slander, all those things go away when we're maturing in our relationship with God. When we're not, they seem to elevate. They just do. Henry Blackaby said this. He said, our world hungers for an expression of Christ as he really is, living out his life through his people. And one of the ways that we do that is by remembering. See, we've got Lord's Supper we're going to take here in just a minute. And remembering is really important. You've been called a royal, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You've been chosen. We have been chosen to go and share the Word of God with all people. And so one of the things we're going to do is we're going to take the Lord's Supper because one of the things that I think we struggle with is remembering. Remembering what's been done for us. Remembering the grace that has been poured out. And let me help you out. The grace that continues to get poured out for all of us. See, remembering helps you to say, God has done something in my life and not only has He done that, but I need to tell others about it so that they can experience too. Isn't it exciting when somebody you've been praying for comes to faith in Christ? Amen. That should never get old. That should never get old. If somebody, you should be excited if somebody says, can you talk to me about Jesus? You should, y'all, let me help you. Let me count the ways. I'll, I'm glad to do that. And so let me read this passage before our guys start passing it out. I want you to hear this out of 1 Corinthians. Because remembering helps us to realize that as a chosen people, we have something to do. We have to remember what's been done so that we can share it with others. Look at what Paul said out of 1 Corinthians 11, um, 23-32. He says, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which has been done for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Live your life in remembrance of what I've done for you. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Okay? He's, he's really reminding us about remember. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of, concern, of concerning the blood and the body of the Lord. He says, he says, make sure that you're right spiritually. Make sure that you're in a good spot. You, you, can't be, you can't be hatred towards somebody in here and then taking this. Make it right. Make sure you're good. For anyone who drinks a cup without discerning the body and eats the drinks and judgment of himself, that they may, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. But if you judge yourself truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. He says, make sure that you're going to partake this, that you really are living out what, what's been done for you, okay? And so what I want you to do is think about this, is when you think about remembering, 
We try to forget death, and Jesus wants us to remember his death. We typically want to forget death. Somebody we love is like, I, I know they're gone. He wants you to remember. He wants you to remember. He wants you to remember. That this, this idea of remembering is not as much historical as it is personal for each of us. He, because if you have a personal relationship, he says, remember what I've done for you. Because you'll go likely share that, okay? You'll likely go share that. And I'll say this, if you are part of God's family, uh, we encourage you to celebrate with us. If you are not a believer, here's what I always tell people, just observe, okay? Just observe. So gentlemen, come forward, and I'm going to pray. And I'll ask you, once you receive the bread, just hold it and pray. Ask God to just, God, am I remembering? That should be your prayer. God, am I remembering what you've done for me? Let's pray. God, I say thank you that you've called us to be a royal priesthood. You've chosen us to be your hands and feet. And I pray that we would remember what's been done for us through your son Jesus. In your name that I pray, amen. Listen to these words. As Jesus modeled for us, we remember this morning, as he offered bread, we offer bread. It is his body, which he gave willingly a long time ago. And folks, part of what, what hurts us is that we, we forget what he has done for us. Because some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. We kind of forget. And then we forget that he's chosen us to be his hands and feet. We, we forget that we are the foundation that he is working in us to strengthen the church. That we do it collectively. We do it together. But remembering is that man, can God use me? Yes. If he's redeemed you, let him use you. Allow him to be your hands. Of, allow him to work through you. If he's chosen you, go. Let us do this. So listen to these words. This is his body broken for my sins, the source of my forgiveness. Father, my biggest tension is to remember. To remember when it's not Sunday, when it's not Easter, when it's not Christmas. But to remember that I am your child, that I am chosen to be your hands and feet in our community, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, the places that we frequent. We have this privilege to be your hands and feet, and I pray that we would take that role seriously, that we would remember what's been done and what we have been called to. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Again, you'll be getting a cup here, and I ask you to do the same thing, is that Jesus shed his blood for you, for a reason. He shed his blood so that you can be free, can be liberated. And so as you grab, as you get this cup, Give thanks to what he's done for you because that also helps you to remember. So as the cups come, then you take and just remember and give thanks for what he's done for you. This cup is his blood. The scripture tells us that there's life in the blood. It is a symbol of his life given for us. Listen to these words again. 
This is his blood spilt for my sins, your sins, and it is the source of our forgiveness. Father, I ask that in these moments we would remember what's been done for us. We would remember that your son went to the cross for us to redeem us, to heal us, to save us from ourselves. And in that moment, he is calling us to be holy priesthood, to be his ambassadors to the world around us. And that that calling isn't for some, it is for all. And that we would remember as we journey through this life, that we would not be satisfied with where we are, that we would want to be more like him as we move into, as we continue to move into 2020. In your name I pray. Amen. So guess what? We finish this out because he's told us to remember. He has told us that it is important to remember you've been called a royal priesthood. You have received mercy. You have received grace. You are his child. Guess what? There's a reason for this. There's a reason why you're here. Look at what he says, starting in verse uh, 11. He said, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners. That's an interesting word. He says that word really means that this is not your final destination. You've got more ahead of you. And as exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which weighs against your soul. He says, abstain. He goes, don't go there. Don't let them get a foothold. Don't let them get, get going in your life. If you got an area, get some help. Surrender it. Admit it. Own it. Most people are really, really good at pointing out everybody else's sins. Right? Aren't we really good at that? But when somebody points out it to you, the boy, we can get really defensive. It's like, I'm not that way. No, that's not me. And I think it's interesting because sinful desires may seem much less evil than sinful actions. Think about that. Read that again. Sinful desires may seem much less evil than sinful actions. Well, Danny, I didn't do it. They did it, so they're worse. So let me give you some wisdom here. Thinking it and doing it are the same. How do we know? Because Jesus told us so in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to go back and read that, we did that a few years ago. Look at what he said in Matthew 5, 27, 28. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Well, okay. But I say to you that if someone looks at a woman with lustful intent, big word, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he goes, well, I didn't commit the action, but I thought the action. God is, Jesus is saying pretty clearly, they are both like you did it. He says, get rid of those things. Abstain from those passions that lead, that get your heart hijacked and keep you from being who God's wired you to be. Because those things for all of us in this room cause us to not be a royal priesthood, to not be a holy nation. We will not share the message of hope with people if we are hijacked by things that are of not of God. And I want you to always know this, waging war carries with it the idea of a military campaign. It's a lifelong battle. You don't, just because you're not struggling with something now doesn't mean that there's not another battle to, to tackle, right? And that's where God, that's where you say, God, I can't 
but you can. If you really want to be a royal priesthood, it requires you to say, God, I need your help with this area of my life. I struggle with gossip, God. I'll give you some help about gossip. If somebody will gossip to you, they will gossip about you. Okay? I'm just going to tell you. If they will gossip to you, they will gossip about you. And so whatever it is for you, you need to say, God, I can't. I, man, God, this has been a struggle for me. It's been a lifelong struggle. And it's a, it's a war that we wage all along. And the last thing is this. <coughs> Why is this chosen priesthood? Remember? Why does all this matter? Holy priesthood and... Verse 12 tells us why this matters. This is so cool. Look at what he says. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. He says, man, make sure that they may not like who you are, but they can't find anything to say about you that is questionable. I don't like all of their beliefs, but the way that they treat people, I can't argue with that. Man, they stand for some things, and I may not agree with them, but I can't say anything about the way that they, they are. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Because he says, because then they can't say much. Look at what he says. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against your evil, as you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He says, they can't find anything else to talk about, so they're going to try to pick apart something else. But at the end of the day, as, a, as we as royal priesthood, like God, we have this great opportunity to be light in a community that might find it actually hostile. Whether it's at school, in your neighborhood, where you work, in church. We don't all agree on lots of things. I, I like this too, and I'll finish out with this. Our lives and our words convey a message, right? Our lives and our words convey a message. And if, our, if we're going to be a, ro- a, a holy priesthood, we are to remember what's been done for us and to convey that message because you'll, you'll, you'll share what you, when you stand in humble awareness what's been done for you. See, if I stand in a humble, if I stand in an arrogance like, man, you need Jesus way more than I do, mean, you are in big trouble. But, see, we forget what's been done for us. When we think that their sins are worse than mine, We've forgotten what's been done for us. And he's saying, remember what's been done for you. Remember so that when you are a priesthood, a holy priesthood, and you're taking that message out, you have the same access to me as Danny does. You do. My my high-speed internet isn't faster to God than yours. You get the same access to God that I do. He says, but our words and our lives convey a message. They do. I used to tell this story. I, matter of fact, I tell it almost every time in PBC 101. The, I lived in a cul-de-sac in Emporia, and the, there was a lady in the cul-de-sac that she was divorced, and she lived over here, and I live right here, and so we would talk a lot and share just because you live in a cul-de-sac. One day, she comes over steaming hot, and I said, what's the matter? And she said, the, my neighbor is reaching over my chain link fence and stealing my vegetables. And I was like, well, that's not right. And she said, she said, so she's, she confronts him about it. And he says, well, you're not going to eat all those anyway. Is that really the point? And so she's describing him and his wife to me. 
And I painfully come to this shocking, painful conclusion that they are pillars in our church. And I, I was like, and then she connects the dots. She goes, well, don't, don't they go to your church? I'm like, oh. Um, they used to. Okay. I, I, the, the thing that was painful to me is that those two, did, they didn't see that their words and their actions mattered. You're not going to eat all those. Is it logical she's not going to eat them all? Sure. And you know what she said? She said, Dan, if he, if he just would have asked, I'd have given him all that he wanted. But he looked at me as a single divorced woman and thought, she's not going to eat all these anyway, so I'm going to take and see, folks, we have to see that our lives are connected, that when you leave here, you are a holy priesthood. You don't leave it here and don't pick it back up here on my, um, next Sunday. You leave and go with it. And so you are a chosen roly, roly, holy, poly. Uh, you, are a chosen, you are a chosen priesthood to take it and not look at a waitress or a waiter with discontent or that you're somehow above them because they're a waiter or waitress. You are to treat people with respect. You are to treat people with honor. You are to show people what Jesus looks like. Jesus was a servant to the people. If you're not sure what that looks like, come on Wednesday night and see what the Gospel of Mark tells you about that. We are to be servants modeling Jesus to, that's what this royal priesthood is about. It doesn't elevate you to being in a crown, sitting in a big chair. I only do that in my office, but I'm kidding, I don't. The point being is that a royal priesthood is a privilege. It is an honor. And we get to be part of the foundation of God in this world in which we live in, okay? Don't run from it. Don't hide from it. But remember what God has done in your life personally, and you are more likely to take it to the people out there. There's a hungry group of people out there that want to know, what, does Jesus is Jesus for them? And you can say, if he was for me, then he is for you. Let me pray. God, I just say thank you that you've asked me to be something that I could not do on my own. That you've called me to be holy, which is scary in itself. But it is, it is like you. And that is an incredible honor and an incredible privilege and incredibly frightening. But I can't do that without your help. And then I think about that I'm a chosen person, a royal priesthood. I am to take the message to the world around me. I pray that we would have the courage to do that, that we would not be hung up by our sin, the things that have tripped us up, our insecurities, that we would stand in a humble awareness remembering what you did for us, that moment that we surrender our lives to you and that you redeemed us and have been working in our lives ever since. I pray for some in this room, they are far too satisfied with their biblical knowledge. They're satisfied with their church attendance. They're satisfied with their marriage. They're satisfied with their parenting. They're satisfied with their finances. They're satisfied with way too many things that you are not satisfied with. They're satisfied with a little sin because it's not as bad as so-and-so sin. I ask God that we would have a humble awareness, a broken awareness, that we would say, God, I need forgiveness because I have forgotten 
what your son did for me. I have allowed it to be dulled. And I pray, God, there may be some in this room that they need to say yes to you, that you are calling them and they have resisted. They are afraid, whatever it is. And I pray that we would respond, whatever that is you're asking us to do this morning. In your name I pray, amen. I'll ask you to stand, myself or Brad or...